Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. Today, we are joined by Eleanor Demuth, Director of Risk at Curve. Curve is on a mission to simplify the way people spend, send, see and save money. And Eleanor is here today to share her story and some of the learns along the way. Eleanor, it's great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Super excited to have you here. Before we get into all the meat of it, tell us about your role at Curve and what it actually entails. Okay, so I'm the Group Risk Director. And in fact, when we set this up, I was only the Credit Risk Director, so I've been promoted since then. Basically, that means looking after all aspects of risk for businesses in the UK, the EU and the US. That risk is not financial risk. It's things like operational risk and particularly consumer harm. So I'm in charge of making sure that our products don't do any harm primarily and that we are serving our customers as best we can with the abilities that we have and that we are not taking any undue risks in doing that so we're not breaking the law <laughs> we're not riding roughshod over the regulations we're not running out of money and not able to answer your calls although you know that could be <laughs> argued as a de- definite risk sometimes especially over things like Christmas but yeah that's what I do I try and control those things that could go wrong and there's just so much that can right <laughs> there's so much that can go wrong yeah. it's not a popular occupation it's basically looking to, into the dark corners to see if there are monsters. yeah absolutely you can't see if there are monsters because they're dark corners yeah yeah and and like the mission of the company itself there's so much positive written about curve online on your website it'd be great to hear from you on that well we certainly have a very positive mission we are trying very hard to simplify all aspects of of money management for anyone that wants to use us it's essentially an application on your phone that you can attach all your financial for now very much your cards so things like your debit card your credit card maybe your business credit card maybe your loyalty cards and things so you can put them all in one place and manage all of that money from that application it also comes with some nice bits and bobs if if you upgrade your subscription so for example you get your travel insurance as part of the curve app a bit like a bundled personal account or current account And we're working on other things. So I mentioned credit earlier. We have a product called Flex, which is flexible credit facility that you can apply for if you are a Curve member that doesn't work like buy now to pay later. Everyone keeps saying it's buy now pay later and it isn't. It drives me mad. So it's not there at checkout saying, hey, hey, buy this expensive thing and you can put it on installments. It's actually to say, oh, you've spent this money on Curve but maybe you have another expense that you need to free up your credit card for. So say if you need to book an airline flight, you want that on a credit card, right? So you take something like some expensive shoes that you bought and you swipe it and say, I'd like to pay for those over the next six months, please, so that I've got the money on the credit card to buy the airline flight. And you might still pay off the airline flight next month, but it's a a money management tool rather than straight credit which is something that people haven't maybe got used to. I think it's how perhaps credit cards used to be used, like when they first came into being. People were like, ah, yes, I can stretch my money this month by putting on a credit card and paying it off at the end of the month rather than the start of the month, and then I'll budget over the next three or something like that. And that's just kind of not how that is anymore. People get trapped into paying a minimum payment and then 
they rack up lots of interest. So we have lots of exciting stuff as well that we want to introduce. So for example, budgetary planning tools, and we have lots and lots of special offers. So we have partnerships that give you money off. We have a cashback program. You can choose your top six, I think it is, or maybe three, depending on what grade you have. So you can choose your number of vendors that you shop most with and get cash back on those. Mine are Aldi and Amazon. <laughs> can, I, can I confess? Yeah, there's lots of benefits to it, but it is it is a management tool and it's perhaps not as well known as it might be because we've not been marketing it savagely or anything like that. So yeah, there's lots of positive attributes to it, but I think you don't really know it enough yet. Mm. I'm hoping it'll become as ubiquitous as WhatsApp. Yeah, well, you know, you'll I mean, just have your curve in your phone. You know? Yeah, I mean, it should do based on everything that you've just said and the way you've explained it. You're absolutely right. You know, we we've sort of lost touch with what what originally credit cards were. You know how how credit cards were used and thought about, and people are getting swamped, not not being able to budget, not being able to think about the proverbial tomorrow um, when it comes to their money. And, you know, I love the way that you've talked us through that because I can imagine people listening to this be thinking, right, let's get involved in Curve. Well, I'm quite passionate about it because I think the way that financial institutions are set up are not particularly people friendly. And actually, I think part of the reason for that is because, as with so much else, they are designed for someone's idea of what the typical person is. And that typical person is a young man. Or maybe a middle-aged man, if you're talking investments. But you know what I mean? They're not thinking about all the edge cases. And I think that's something Curve does really well, but that is really difficult to get across to people. So we have a wonderful thing. I use it all the time because I've got a house in France. So I live there part-time. So I've got a French bank account. And I buy everything on the Curve card, getting lovely cashback points and so forth. And so does my partner. He's getting his SO points because he has the car and I don't. And sometimes... Of course, you'll find that you've taken cash out on your credit card and you think, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I'm going to be charged a fortune for it. Kev has a lovely feature where you can go back in time and go, oh, no, no, I didn't really do that. What I actually did is took it out of my French debit account. Thank you very much. In oh. euros, thus saving you the money. Really? Or you, or you can switch it from going, oh, God, I just took that out of my French account and I actually meant to pay it on my English account in pounds. You can swipe it and go back in time and say, no, that never happened. See, I love this. Like, This is a, a user journey, right? And mm. you hit the nail on the head of many conversations I've had this week around what are we talking about when we say the typical customer or the typical consumer journey? Because aren't we trying to move away from what certain people perceive as typical? And it's about mm. getting this to everybody. And therefore, there isn't a typical. It's about what are all the different anomalies? What are all the different journeys that someone could go on? And how do we include all of those different things? So I, I love that example of you being in France and going, oh, no, I meant the other one. Yeah. That's the sort and, of thing and that then yeah, absolutely. And then you find that you've got to transfer money into euros and all the palaver that that involves. And you don't have to do that. You've got curve. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. It's something I tell people about all the time, actually, in designing customer journeys and, and designing underwriting even. And I'm so glad I can do this on the screen now. And that is, if you account for all this stuff around the edges, all the weirdness, you catch the middle anyway. Yeah. So you should always design your processes and so forth by default in an inclusive manner 
because the typical will be internal to that yeah you can't fool the weird typicals in the middle yeah love that and we will quote you on that because that is absolutely spot on I love it and thank you for sharing that with us can you take us back because I love asking about career journeys sometimes people will see someone in a senior job title and won't really know how they could get there how they could follow you in that path so I'd love for you to share your journey and your unique path into fintech okay nobody tried to follow this path just just a disclaimer <laughs> don't, don't even go there so I went to university and I studied uh, psychology and physics like you do <laughs> and I thought this combination is going to make me unemployable because <laughs> who wants a psychologist who's also a physicist and the answer is very few people but actually there are notable exceptions so from there um for the fact that I knew both psychology and physics, I got into facial recognition technology. So I was there right at the beginning of the sort of facial recognition process and validation and things. And that was interesting, but not my my main focus. I was actually into social cognition, but social cognition and facial cognition, funnily enough, quite allied. And as I said, from there, I thought, what am I going to do? And then along came a lovely company, Cabot Financial, who were, again, at the cutting edge of buying non-performing debt in the UK at that time. They buy performing debt as well now, I should should hasten to add, they're not still there. But it turned out that my skill set was actually quite relevant to modelling the performance of that debt because there are a lot of different vectors in it. And you're sort of, you know, when, when debt's not performing, you're not looking to identify the standard path, you're looking to identify the exceptions. You know, the standard person is going to pay it off at £2 a month and feel the weight of it on their shoulders forever. But other people are going to want to get rid of it and rehabilitate their debt and maybe, you know, get back on a, a path of getting a mortgage and so on. And you can help those people. You can, you can do that for them. But how to identify them in the morass of, you know, people that are just never going to be able to get out of that mess. So, yeah, so my modelling skills came in handy there. And from there, I moved on to what was SAV Credit, although it's now New Day. And you may have seen adverts for the Aqua credit card. That was my baby. Basically, I knew the founder of New Day because he was also the founder of Cabot. And I just said to him, you got a job for me, mate. I'm getting bored here. (laughs) And he said, yeah, take this credit card and run with it. See what you can do. And so, yeah, I ran that credit card for a while and got it to a nice, healthy situation. And then I got bored there, too. And I moved on to work for Deloitte, where I was in risk advisory. So I was advising people on all kinds of risk things. But really, I was the wolf of financial services. And by that, I mean the the wolf from Pulp Fiction, not the wolf of Wall Street. So, So essentially, things would go horribly wrong or would be about to go horribly wrong. So those monsters that are in the corners were peeking out and waving. And I would turn up and fix whatever the issue was with, sticky tape and string and old blankets (laughs) and then run away and another team would come in and fix it properly but it was a very exciting and interesting time I did learn a hell of a lot from working at Deloitte and then I went to Metro Bank another relatively new company I mean I know they're 12 years old now but for a bank for a high street bank that's young and I was their risk governance head off for a while So again, just sort of kicking things into shape where they've been built in an adequate, but maybe a little bit not so tidy way. 
because it's had to evolve. And now I'm here at Curve making something new and I hope beautiful. But again, it's that situation where it's new and it's shiny, but it's maybe got a bit of scaffolding around the edges. And um, it's super amazing just to hear that journey of yours and what excites you, what you get involved in, what impact you make at each of your roles. And it's brilliant to hear that story. What I would love to go back to a bit was just that conversation that we were having around this sort of one size fits all approach that you've seen over the years in all these different organizations because these are really really different types of organizations that do things in many different ways that have very very different setups but everyone still struggles with this uh yeah one size fits all approach so I know you've got loads of examples of how you've challenged that and I'd love for you to share that with us oh god okay well I mean I I once had a row with someone about whether or not we could hire people with facial piercings to work in a call center <laughs> the argument being well it's not the image you want to project I'm like well, what image center. are you projecting in a call center <laughs> yeah. and then I said what about facial tattoos and this person goes oh oh no we couldn't possibly have someone with facial tattoos and I said so no Maoris then and this person seriously thought I mean it was this was way back before the, the term woke was ever thought of even but this person honestly just thought I was being belligerent and woke for the sake of wokeness but my point was what are you doing here you're making up scandalous you know almost rules to ensure that people adhere to your version of of what normal or what acceptable is and you don't know you're not the arbiter of that uh, and I do have a married cousin that I could have produced if I had to. And then there's personal stuff. Like um, I was once told that I was wearing an inappropriate dress. It was a very respectable dress. It's quite a nice dress. I, I felt morbidly upset that my dress was not acceptable. I mean, I, I took it for granted that the person concerned knew what they were talking about. I saw someone else wearing the same dress. On a minute. She's wearing the same dress. And no one's saying anything. What What's the deal here? Is it something about my role or, you know, what's going on here? And the answer was, no, but yours shows a lot more cleavage. So, in fact, what that person was objecting to was not the dress. It was my body shape. Wow. Yeah. And these events, you don't exactly pass them by, but you don't let them get to you because you're at work and you're supposed to be busy. But they do get to you and you think about them. And this stuff has impacted me and made me stand up for other people that are in a situation where perhaps they're being targeted not maliciously being unacceptable or being unaccepted but where nobody's thinking about what they're saying and the impact they may have and the sheer effrontery of it you know how dare someone tell me your boobs are too big to wear that dress to work how dare they? And I'm just Yeah, I'm so glad you're saying it in the way that you're saying it because you're making it really clear. People say things almost in nice and passive ways, but actually what you're saying is you're objecting to somebody's body shape. That's what you're objecting to, and that, and that's what you're talking about in the workplace. And it it really um it's across so many different 
different avenues that this happens. And I, I love the examples that you're sharing. This is why I wanted you to, because I think it will get people, the people listening, I think it'll get them thinking, wow, I've heard something similar. And I thought that was an acceptable thing to say when actually it's not. And actually the ex- examples you're giving are where you've responded and said, this isn't right. And this is hard work. You know, you're you're it carrying is. a lot of baggage here by having to, having to stop them, having to explain, having to educate, having to say this is the impact of it. And, you know, you, you need help in that. You need more people being true allies. Well, and the interesting thing about the lady that was wearing the same dress was part of the reason I was asking wasn't because I thought, oh, this is about my boobs. It had never occurred to me that it was about my boobs because I'm not looking at them. They're just there. I was actually thinking, uh-oh, someone's going to approach her and tell her she's wearing an unsuitable dress. I want to save her from that embarrassment. You know, I, I don't want her to have the same feeling of, uh-oh, I'm wandering around for the rest of the day in what I have been told is an unsuitable outfit. Because that's not nice, is it? It's like being told that your trousers are see-through. What are you going to do? You know, if you get told that your trousers are see-through, you do not want to be told until you are home safe and your partner goes, crikey, those trousers are see-through, at which point you can tell yourself that nobody else noticed all day. (laughs) (laughs) Which probably isn't the truth. Yeah. But But that's what you want it to be. And and that's it. I mean, I suppose there's there's a balance to be made there. Like, do you let someone walk around in something all day and then tell them that they were unsuitable all day? Or do you tell them at the start of the day and then have them feel unsuitable all day. I mean, yeah. you know, there's a real balance to be struck. But there's other things. There's, in fact, something happened to me only, I don't know when it was, yesterday, day before, when I was in a meeting and I was basically saying that some people had failed to complete an action because they hadn't engaged with what I'd asked them to do. And I was basically calling them on it, which I hate having to do. But you know, sometimes you get to a, a place where you're like, mm, come on, you know, pull your finger out, people. I, I have asked. And someone in this meeting said to me, well, you know, Helena, perhaps you could put 15 minutes in all the owner's diaries and, you know, and make sure that that meeting happens and blah, blah, blah. And I and I said to him, uh-uh, no way. For a start, 15 minutes isn't going to cover it. If it was 15 minutes of work, I'd have got it done by now. I'd have cornered people or whatever. But also, I'm not chasing these people anymore. I've already chased them. They know it's an action on them. And and it was only after the meeting that I thought to myself, hang on a minute. Bit of an allergy moment for anyone who knows allergy. I thought, is it because I've got boobs? Because (laughs) that's 15 lots of diary management that I would have had to do, rather than each of them doing one. And I'm thinking, would they have asked a man exec to do that? And I'm not sure they would. I mean, I can't be certain, but that's the kind of, it's not exactly a microaggression. It's not even an aggression at all. I mean, other than being told how to do my work in a meeting, but let's let that pass. It's it's the fact that you're second guessing it sometimes. It's the fact that you're thinking, is this because I'm different? And I'm sure that that happens a lot to everybody of all kinds of differentness. I mean, I'm also autistic. And there's a lot of second guessing there. It's like, did I understand that correctly? Did that person just say the thing I thought they said? Or did they mean it somehow differently? You're constantly doing the work to translate from what has been said to what is meant and trying to put a lens on that to say, and also, is it because I don't fit the mold? Mm. 
is it because I'm female? Is it because I'm middle-aged? Is it because I, I was eating a cookie at the time and couldn't hear them? You know, <laughs> whatever it happens to be, is it because I'm autistic and therefore they've interpreted me incorrectly? All of those things do occur to you. And the cultural stuff, I mean, I'm not entirely British and I think most of the time no one interprets that. No, no one realises that. They think that I'm entirely British. But even in that, there are assumptions that are made. You know, oh, you're British, therefore you must live in a nice semi, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And thank you for sharing this perspective and your experience, because I think there'll be many people listening who will relate to this. And, and I think it's really touched a point for me, that second guessing. I often feel, did I hear that correctly? Is it just me? Did that really happen? Should I feel offended? Um, well, I need to challenge this. Yeah. And this has the moment passed, damn it. Yeah. And if I did challenge it, now have I come across incorrectly? Am I now perceived negatively because I didn't put up with that? behavior there's so many elements to this and, and you're talking about it which is so powerful I have a point on that I was thinking about this the other day and I was thinking about this thing that perhaps we as particularly women but also perhaps other marginalized groups not minorities come across and and that's this idea that perhaps we're not as ambitious as our typical counterparts we will call them we don't present ourselves for top jobs and we don't we don't fight for pay rises and we we don't maybe even apply for certain jobs because we don't think we'll get them we've got this sort of internalized bias towards not shoving ourselves forward right now for a start why should we have to but that's another game but then i thought about it and i thought no actually all the time that i have seen women who were ambitious, who did put themselves forward, who were up for that kind of fight, they've been punished for it. They've been seen as pushy. They've maybe not been given the, the opportunities and the, you know, maybe the accounts that they wanted to, to manage, or, you know, in, in that context. Or it's not just about us not being pushy enough or ambitious enough it's about the fact that that doesn't work for us anyway we're discouraged from being pushy and ambitious because in a woman that's seen as a negative trait how dare we be pushy and ambitious but at the same time we'll never get anywhere unless we're pushy and ambitious it's great isn't it be like a man but if you are like a man you'll be punished for not being a man so with all of this in mind what i love to talk about at the end of the podcast is always what would you like to see more of? I know there's lots of things that we've covered here, but if we think about workplace inclusion, and you know we've covered we've covered lots here, we've covered fair recognition, we've covered who's been asked to do the note taking in a meeting, you know, oh, yeah. we've covered from that to who's getting promoted, who's getting recognised, who's getting given the credit. But when we think about all of that, and you know, in general, workplace inclusion, what would you like to be seeing more of from this industry, from people listening? just general consideration of individualism i know that we live in kind of a bit of a cult of individualism anyway right now but there is still a great laziness out there and it's kind of a cognitive laziness i was talking about my studies in social cognition earlier there's kind of this endless desire to pigeonhole people and it's absolutely natural because you kind of need to cope with life and to be able to 
you know categorize things and act accordingly so you've got these are your young and up and coming folk these are your soon to be retired folk whatever categorizations those happen to be and they're they're multiple you know they're in all directions it's a it's a multi-dimensional space but everyone makes that attempt to kind of put people in a hole and i get that but what i would like to see is a failure to use that hole in how you treat people it's fine to have it there in the background as a kind of where do these people fit in my mindset but to then be aware of it and how you treat people is is really important and I think to understand that people are your business you know there's this constant focus on this is where our profitability lies this is where our assets lie this is you know what influences our balance sheet the people are everything the people are the most valuable asset you have. They are, you know, perhaps replaceable, but at what cost? If you've got good people or even adequate people that you can train further, they will they will carry your business. So I think thinking about everyone's needs and desires and how they might want to be seen and treated is the most important thing. And you know, we do this all the time where people will say, oh, well, what's so-and-so's ambitions? What can, what can we do to help them progress and evolve in their role? I've seen it where people have been in that role solely for the salary and they don't give a damn, but they're good at it and they try hard. And so people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that person's great. We want to progress them and give them a pay rise and make them management. And that person is far from wanting that. So don't think about what you would want in that person's position. Think about they would want and, and actually ask them. You know, don't set aside this idea of how people might wish to be treated. Ask them. I wish that we had more conversations about this stuff. I wish that. And thank you for sharing that. And I love everything you said there about being able to communicate properly around individualism. And you know what? That's going to be difficult. There's so many people, but hearing you talk like that, I think will really encourage the listeners to do that. So today's episode of the Women of Fintech series has been absolutely brilliant. And and Anna, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights. It's been brilliant. Absolute pleasure. I wish I could do more. 